Thanks for listening to the New Life Church Searcy podcast. If you'd like to get connected to what God is doing at the Searcy campus, you can text the word Searcy to 88000. There you can give online, get connected to a life group, find your place in a serve team, and so much more. You can also find today's message notes in the YouVersion Bible app. Just tap the link in the episode description to follow along during the sermon and save notes directly to your phone. Now prepare your hearts to hear a great word from God today. When talking about godly parameters, I think that the Garden of Eden, when when we look at that, it it became the first place or sacred place or plan that had a parameter with it. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 2, he said, and then the Lord made a garden and it's there that he put mankind. And so um, after creation was, was kind of finished and rest had taken place and and things had started to move forward. There, there was this special place arranged and forged for man, and it came with a conversation. I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but it was basically, basically like, uh, you guys can do a lot of things here in this garden, but there's also some things that you can't do. And so it was a place designed for them to be able to test and exercise this incredible gift that you and I have called free will. And this is what makes loving God so powerful is because we're not forced to. You choose him. Even though he chose you first, as scripture is clear, you get to choose him back. And that's what makes the relationship so powerful. And so the parameters and the guardrails, if you will, around the plans of God are a beautiful thing. They're not something to be despised. They're not something to be looked down upon or frowned at, but it's something that is beautiful in in a way that he has seen ahead of time exactly what you and I need and exactly what we're trying to work out in our own faith journey. And parameters can many times um, exacerbate that process and cause it to speed up and cause it to be a a great experience. It's, It's the right pressure on you to forge you into the person that God is trying to forge you into. So even though this is not one of my talking points this morning, it is a good principle, and that is this. Every plan of God comes with principles or parameters, rather, from God. Okay, so anytime there is a plan of God in your life, you can rest assured there's going to be some guidelines to that, that plan. So if you're a note taker this morning, I'm going to give you a lot of things that start with the letter P. I didn't intend for that to happen, but that's just how uh, my brain started putting out content. And so uh, let's start with that one. Every plan of God has parameters from God. So the way I want to start this series is to condense this big and broad topic into a smaller um more digestible question. And I think the simplest question that we can condense it to is, does God have a plan for me? All right, so when we think about the grand plans of God, the grand scheme of things, and I'll get into that in just a moment, but we also have have to bring this down to something that we can digest, and that becomes, does God have a plan for me? You can take it to the next layer and say, is there even a plan at all? Because some of you might be in this room this morning, and you feel as if you're flying solo. You feel like your faith is trying to believe 
in God. It's believing in the story of Jesus. Um, you are exercising faith. You have repented of sin. You have been water baptized. You're doing things that you believe are very practical to your faith journey. But when you sit in it for a minute, you feel lost. You feel like you really don't have something that is a clear aim, a clear direction for you. So you've asked yourself this question, maybe not to friends, but in the, in the sanctuary of your mind, you've said, is there even a plan at all? I hope to answer that this morning as I set up this short series. So to answer this, I think we've got to do the first and foremost important thing as believers, and that's to look at Scripture and lean into what has already been said and done via Scripture. So let's look at that. In Genesis chapter 1, we see a grand plan, a plan to create something, a God that we do, we do not have the story on prior to uh, Genesis 1. And so we don't know what the content was there or the context. We don't know if, if God was in a creative mood. We don't know if he was like, you know what, I, I'm, I just want to be in relationship with um, an, an, a, a being that chooses me. And so the thought came out for free will. And so out of that, um, you, you know the backstory. God formed us from the dust of the ground. He breathed into us the breath of life. And at that moment, Scripture says we became a living soul. And so when you look at the grand plan of Genesis, let's quickly, for those of you who have not read this in a while, day one of creation was the separation of light and darkness. So this forged the first day. There was a rising of the sun, the setting of, of the same, darkness came upon the earth, and it formed the first day. But light was given to, to darkness. Again, a metaphor for Jesus Christ to come. Day two, um, atmosphere and sky. And so uh, the King James called that a firmament between the firmament. And so now you've got atmosphere that separated um, water off of the earth. So there was water on the ground and lakes, rivers, streams, oceans, a firmament, and then uh, the, the atmosphere beyond that. Day three, dry ground, plants, and trees. Day four, sun, moon, stars. Day five, birds and sea life. Day six, land, animals, and humans. And on day seven, there was rest. All of this was a plan. It was something for us to notice and look at the organization of God the plan of God, the dream of God, his creativity, and so on. We learn a lot about the character of God just by studying out creation. If you fast forward through the first five books of the Bible, you see more big plans. A plan to replenish the earth, a plan to redeem man, a plan to rescue his people from slavery, a plan to communicate to every generation, and a plan that began to introduce us to Jesus Christ. But if you look at the plan of creation, if you look at all these big plans in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, some of you have never even read the book of Numbers. So, But our question remains, does God have a plan for me specifically? And so this is what I believe Scripture is revealing to us about God's plan for you specifically. If you're a note taker, this is where I'm going to get started this morning. The first one is this. God's plan for you is predetermined. 
All right, now this is a big theological word. There's a lot of debate around this. Um, there's a lot of, of arguments around this. This is a word that you and I do not use in our own vocabulary. We tend to only get this word when, when we read it or reference it. But predestination or something that is predestined or predetermined, it means this, to be determined beforehand by divinity. That God looked at your life and he predetermined things. He said, before you even get to that year in your life, I see that year, and I'm going to place something now in that year, and now all you've got to do is live up to that year to receive it. That's predestination. That's something that is predetermined. And God's plan for your life is so well thought out, it is predetermined. That God has looked upon you. He has seen your life from beginning to end. The Bible even tells us that it's appointed unto man once to die. And so you have an appointment with an end date, an expiration date, just as you had a beginning date. It's already been predetermined. There is an appointment for all of us in time. But let's look at Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Now that verse goes on, but again, the word I want to focus on there is predestined. That God saw you and he had a plan and he wanted to introduce you to Jesus Christ. First Peter 1, 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven for you. Again, the word there, caused us, made it happen, implemented something, executed something. Jeremiah 1.5, he says, before I formed you in the womb. Now, this is even before you're in the womb. He says, I knew you. I saw you. Before you were even in your mother's womb, I knew you. Such a powerful statement there. It sounds like somebody who's got a plan. He says, and before you were born, I consecrated you. Now, this word consecration means I set you apart. Before you were in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I separated you. I set you apart. There's a plan for your life. Acts 17, 26, I love this one. From one human being, he created all races of people and made them live throughout the whole earth. Watch this. He himself fixed beforehand the exact times and the limits of the places where they would live. Meaning this, you and I are alive right now at this particular juncture in time because that's how God wanted it. You weren't supposed to be in the 1800s or the 1700s. You're not supposed to be born in 2050. 
You are supposed to be here right now as part of your journey in this place right now at this particular city, at this particular time, living where you're living, doing what you're doing. Because he fixed it beforehand, okay? So the plan of God for your life is unfolding before you ever got here. Before you drew a breath, God said, I've got something for them. I see something in them. I want to, I want to be with them and live life with them, and I've got good things for them. The second thing, God's plan for you is perfect for you, okay? Now, I don't, I don't want to lean too heavy on this word perfect because we have the tendency to get freaked out when we, feel, when we hear this word perfect, we equate it with perfection, what I want to, what I, the way that I'm using the word perfect is it's personalized. Okay? It is customized for you. Now, Psalm 32 and, and 8, and I, I want you to help, help me read this. Will you put that on, on, on the screen? Psalm 32, 8. Do we have it, please? Yes. Okay. So I'm going to point to you on, on a certain word, and I, I want you to say it out loud, okay? I will instruct. And teach in the way should go. Okay? You are involved in a customized plan. He is going to instruct you. That's personal. He's not talking about a nation. He's not talking about a people group. He's talking about you. I'm going to instruct you, teach you in the way you should go. That sounds like a plan. Proverbs 16.9, the heart of man plans his own way. But watch this, the Lord establishes his steps. Now this word establish, you know, we use it in, in the word establishment, and it, it means a, a system, an organized thought. So he is going to systemize your steps. Before you even take the next one, He's already been ahead of you. So you are stepping into things and places and friendships and careers, even creativity and thoughts that he's already established for you. Right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He will do it. He will go before you. He will customize it. He will plan it. It will be perfect for you. Now, here's the, uh, the uh, pitfall. is you see God working out a plan in somebody else's life and you opt out of your plan to try to live vicariously through their plan. That will get you in trouble and destroy your faith. If I try to live out the plan of God for my life based on what I see his plan is for someone else, then I, I am aborting the plan that God has purposed and seen ahead of time and established and all the steps and all the things that he's made and the predestination and the predetermination of a plan for my life all because I see something in someone else that I want. He will make your path straight. 
Third, God's plan for you is paced for you. This is where some of us get really weary. It's because we know that God is good. We know that God loves us. But we go, man, you are so slow. I need, I need a Wendy's kind of plan. God, I want to drive up to church. I want to roll my window down. I want to make an order. I want to tell you what I want on it. And all I want you to do, I just want you to hand it to me with a lot of napkins. Just don't skip on the napkins. We don't enjoy sometimes the process, but what we need to be reminded of this morning is God's plan is paced for you specifically. He's got certain things for you to walk into at certain times and certain phases and certain seasons, and it's only our job to walk it out, to live by faith, to walk by faith, to not try and, and test God and tempt God and whine about it and throw ourselves spiritually on the floor and throw a tantrum and say, why do you love them more than you love me? And why are they being blessed? And why am I not? And why do they have favor? And why don't I? And why did they win the lottery? And I didn't. And we want to call out to God all these shots that we're wanting to call when God has already ordained an amazing life for you and customized it. And its pace for you is wonderful. 2 Peter 3 and 8. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. I love that. He's not slow like some of y'all think he's slow. Instead, it says, he is patient with you. He knows you're going to show up right at the right time. And you're going to do the right thing. And he believes in you. And he's waiting on you to choose his plan and to choose him and to, and, and to choose trusting him and to exercise your faith and keep placing your free will into his hands. And at that point, he's, he's working it out. He is patient with you. He knows you're frustrated. He knows sometimes you're hurt. He knows sometimes you're angry. And I, I'm going to preach next week on when God's plan is not your plan. God is patient with you. Ecclesiastes 3 and 1, there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. There is a time for everything, including the implementation of the favor of God on your life. Just keep moving. Just keep having. In Esther chapter 4 and 14, he said, for you were born for such a time as this right now. Not in 20 years from now, not in 50 years from now. You didn't miss your place. You didn't miss your time. It was preordained. It was predetermined. God had a plan for you right now and to have a plan among all the other people that he chose for right now to keep moving the story of Jesus forward, to grow the church, to grow the kingdom. He purposed that for all of us. His pace for us is brilliant. Fourth, God's plan for you is pleasing to you. God's plan for your life is not a miserable plan. It's funny sometimes when you talk to people about the plan of God or you talk to them about, you know, turning their heart over to God, they're like, man, you know what? If I do that, 
then I'm not going to have fun anymore. Like Christians are not fun. And I'll echo that with you. There are some Christians who are not fun. Some of you are married to a Christian who's not fun. You go, man, Christianity is not fun. But I'm going to tell you that the plan of God and being in the plan of God for your life is fun. And it's great. It is not miserable. Everybody's favorite verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, I know the plans I have for you. And watch this. Plans to what? Prosper you. Now, all of you think prosperity and you think in terms of wealth. But what if you're rich in other ways too? And there's nothing wrong with wealth. But what if you're rich? Man, you've got so many friends, you can't even get them on the calendar for coffee. That's prosperity. What if you have favor at your work and you keep getting promoted and people like you and your wisdom and life experiences come in great in sync with what's going on at your job? That's prosperity. He says, I have plans to prosper you and not to what? Come on, say it like you believe it. Not to what? Harm you. And some of you right now have a broken heart and you think the Lord did it. You think God is against you and he set you up? And he's trying to to purge you somehow? And he's rejected you? He's turned his back on you? No, he's saying, my plan for you is not to harm you. And then he says, I've got plans to give you what? Come on, church, say it. Hope in a future. In the middle of things that, man, we could wring our hands just constantly of fear and anxiety of the world around us. He says, no, no. I got plans to give you hope in the middle of chaos. A definitive future in what seems to be unsure and unstable. That's his plan for you. It's pleasing. Psalm 33 and 11 says, The plans of the Lord, I love this, stand firm forever. Meaning this, once he's made up his mind about you, it's done. Nothing can change it. Nothing can move it. Even if you move, it doesn't change the plan. Come on, some of y'all with life experience say amen. Even though you make a bad move, doesn't mean the plan has changed. Even though you choose something different, even in your spiritual immaturity, you try to go a different way. The plan will not change. It is established forever. So God's plan is pleasing. So just because God's plan has parameters does not mean it is not full of joy. Instruction does not equate to restriction. Good instruction from God is life-giving. It is wisdom. It is full of joy to know this is what God wants of me. That's not restriction. Now let's go a little, little bit deeper. I need my time to start over right now so that I can go a little bit deeper. This is where we always get, get hung up, and this is where I get the most questions about the plan of God is this. Kevin, what about the perfect plan versus the permissive plan? Okay. 
So let me, let me teach this out for just a second. And you've heard this a hundred ways, so after today, you can make it 101. When I talk about perfect again, I'm talking about ideal. The ideal plan for you. The permissive plan of God comes between what I have taught you for a long time, the guardrails of loving God and loving people. And that is a six-lane highway. You can do a lot of good by just applying that filter to your life and knowing if I love God and I love people and I stay between those two guardrails, I'm in the, I'm in the plan of God. And you can do a lot there. That is the permissive will. Go and do whatever you want within those two guardrails. And you, again, you can spend your life on that six-lane highway doing incredible things. But there is an ideal plan of God, or what, what we call a perfect plan of God. And the ideal plan of God for you is a drill down. It's, it's a laser-focused appetite for precisely what God sees in your life. And, you, and you, you want it. We tend to want this over the big things. Who am I going to spend the rest of my life with? What do you want me to do with my career? Should I move? Should I not move? What's, you know, these, these big ones. We say, well, loving God, loving people doesn't really, you know, tell me what I want there. Well, you're going to have to drill down and find out the perfect, precise will of God for your life. And the ideal plan of God demands more from you than a Christian tattoo or an elevation worship t-shirt. It, it, it is, a, it is a, a fight to hear what God has for you. So I want to share with you briefly a recipe to help you land right in the middle of God's ideal plan for your life, okay? If I run out of time, I will circle back in, with this next week. Here we go. The first thing is pursuit. If you want the perfect will of God for your life, you're going to have to pursue it. You're going to have to go after it. You're going to have to get some tenacity. You're going to have to sink your teeth into it. You're going to have to get hungry for it. You're going to have to want it. You're going to have to get a, develop an appetite for what God has specifically for you and go for it. Pursue it. Okay? Get hungry for it. Plus, price. Okay? So, the perfect will of God is going to cost you something. And I'm, I'm going to use an old word here, but we talk about this word anointing or, or anointed, and we look at different people in Scripture who had that. They all paid a price for it. If you want to have an anointed life, an anointed plan of God over your life, you got to pay something for it. So, well, I mean, God's charging for these things now? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you may have to fast and pray to get it. You may have to say no to some things so you can say yes to some other things. You may have to say no to some people so you can say yes to some other things. So you're going to have to let, let go of something to gain something better. It will cost you a price. So you've got to pursue, you got to have a price, and then comes the elimination of possibilities. This is where it gets hard because you go, okay, here I am. God, I got three potential people I could fall in love with. Three minus two is 
So, so two got to go. I think unless I live in a different state. Three, three minus two. God, I got five jobs that I, I could take, five different different states. But what's the perfect plan of God? I like all five. One of them's in Brooklyn. We're going to scratch that off. I got four. The elimination of possibilities. Spiritual maturity, listen, is when you, when God starts to take all the options for you and all the dreams for you and he narrows down the focus. That's what spiritual maturity is. Spiritual maturity is when you could say, I could have done that, but that wasn't what the Lord wanted for me. That could have been my life at one point, but it's not because I chose the perfect plan of God for my life. And this is what is unfortunate about a lot of you in this room is that you're smart and you're skilled and you've got options. And when you've got options, when you've got possibilities, there's always the potential for confusion. And when you've got a lot of people who like you and want to be around you and everybody is headhunting you and you've got all these possibilities, what you've got to have is a pursuit and pay a price and see the elimination of possibilities on a spiritual plane because all three of those result in peace. And this is how you know. This is the telltale sign of knowing that you are in God's perfect plan for your life is it is immersed in peace. And it will surpass your intellect. You go, how in the world do I have peace about a job that pays 70 when I had an offer for 120? Because God sees something at the 120 that may not be healthy for you. It may not be good for you. It may suck up your time. It may wear you out. And you may be putting more in, in, in the bank, but your kids don't see you as much. You're disconnecting from stuff. You're working on, on Sunday. You don't have a Sabbath. And on and on and on. But suddenly the 70 is just blanketed in peace. And that makes no sense. Because you know what that extra would do for you. If the plan you're in does not have the peace of God on it, it is not God's plan. It may still be a plan that works, and you can muddle through it, and you can survive in life. People do it all the time. But I would rather live my life in peace and knowing I'm right on the step that God ordained for me and that he's worked out for my good so that I can have a life full of joy. See, you can have healthy anxiety and the peace of God at the same time. You can have deadlines and the peace of God at the same time. You can have question marks and the peace of God at the same time. You can have an illness and the peace of God at the same time. Those things can coexist, and it makes it really odd and, and weird sometimes because this peace of God that goes against our understanding or, or surpasses it, rather, 
is what lets us go to a funeral as a believer and, and throw our shoulders back and lift our head. It doesn't mean tears are not going to fall, but it does mean we have a different approach to that door of death than other people. Because we have a hope and a future. And we know that the Father is not trying to hurt us. So we look at our experiences through the lens of there's a plan over my life. And this is just part of it. And there are going to be days it's going to rain. There are going to be days it doesn't make sense. But the peace of God is still telling me, this is it for me. This is right. You say, well, Kevin, I have messed up. And I've missed God's plan. Well, listen, sometimes you're going to miss it. Listen, if mess-ups were push-ups, I'd be jacked right now. Okay? I've messed up plenty. I've missed God's will plenty. I've taken some sketchy jobs before. Things I just wanted. And you've been there too. We go, man, that was, that was, this cannot be the will of God over my life. The plan of God can be scary sometimes, and I'm going to talk about that in week three. We'll talk about when God's plan includes pain. But let's give, give me two, two minutes right here. What if when we talk about the plan of God being scary. What if David, King David, had played it safe? You know, what if he had had thoughts to himself that said, you know, I'm a pretty good shepherd. I could just do this. I don't, I don't know that I'm a good king. I know I'm a good shepherd. What if he was fearful to be elevated? Maybe he was. Maybe he was intimidated. Maybe after the eighth time Saul threw something at him trying to kill him, he thought, maybe I've got the wrong boss here. And some of you are trying to differentiate between your will and God's will and, and the world and your kids and your family and the things you want to do and the things you're skilled at and all, all of this, those things. Man, you need to find peace. And if you have veered from, from the plan, come back. Come back. You know that annoying voice that Siri does when you've gone too far? You know, it's like, at the next exit, please make a... That's the Holy Spirit. Please turn around. Please turn around. Please turn around. It's so annoying. That's God trying to talk to you. Come back. The plan is forever. It's established forever. Our greatest fear should not be of failing, but it should be of succeeding at things that do not matter. And maybe you're here today and that's that's your story. I mean, you you're succeeding at a lot of things and none of them matter. It's, it's a plan. It's working. You can do your whole life that way. But it's not the ideal plan for you.